Good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you could turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 and stand when you find it. We'll read that together. We're going to begin in verse 12. says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for your word. Thank you that you have made yourself known and that you have spoken to us or that we might know you and we might come to, to see Christ in his goodness and grace and mercy. Lord, that our hearts would just be inclined towards you, and we would worship you as we consider these things. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you would have your way in our hearts, uh, that we would have ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have a seat. It's always a a privilege to get to be up here and uh, share God's word with you all. Uh, it's a busy time of year for everybody with Christmas and uh, wrapping things up for school, whether it's college or uh, high school and uh, just working all those details and trying to find time in the midst of all of that to get to do all your Christmas shopping. Uh, it's, it's always fun. And so grateful to get to be here. Our staff at His Hill every year, we do a white elephant gift exchange uh, near the end of the first semester. And it's always an unexpected time uh, because you never know what you're going to get with a white elephant gift, especially with some of the His Hill staff. Uh, and, and so we did that this past week on Thursday, and it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you pick up that, that present, and you really have no idea. Like, as a kid growing up, you write your list of give ideas to your parents. Uh, you know, maybe this, maybe that. Uh, but then when you come to the white elephant, you, know, you have no say in what you're getting. You're just going to open it up and be surprised. Uh, and so one of my girls, for the gift exchange, she actually got a lava lamp. And my kids have never seen a lava lamp in their lives. Uh, and so they open this thing up. They're confused by it, but they're excited to get home. But we tell them, you know, it's like, it was pretty late when we got home, so we said, we're not going to plug it in tonight because they would not sleep if we plugged it in right, right away. Uh, so we'll wait until the morning. So the next morning, uh, every Friday morning at His Hill, we have discipleship groups. So the, the guy students are 
paired up with a male staff member. The girl students are paired up with a female staff member. We meet uh, on Friday mornings. And so I had my discipleship group in our house, and we were sitting in, in the back around a table, and uh, my girl's room was right next to us, and the door was closed, and they had plugged in their lava lamp. And as my guys and I are having our deep spiritual conversations, we keep hearing these squeals of delight coming up <laughs> at random times because as the oil starts to heat up and that first bubble detaches itself and it rises to the top and they open the door, Daddy, guess what? It's moving. <laughs> it's bubbling. And they were so excited. Uh, and so my guys and I, we had very undistracted uh, conversation. It was great, but the, the surprise that my girls had, they had no idea what to expect when they plugged that thing in. And life is full of surprises, uh, you know, that lots of them are fun and exciting surprises, things that we get to experience or enjoy that we never expected to get to, to participate in. Uh, and, and so we enjoy those surprises. Christmas is a time of surprises, and we, we like getting to give gifts to people and see them blessed through generosity. Uh, but life is also filled with unexpected surprises that aren't so exciting, uh, that aren't so enjoyable. But they're there nonetheless. Uh, that many of the hardships that, that take place, we don't expect. And Peter here writes about unexpected things that should be expected. And Peter was somebody who, had, who knew how to relate with surprises. I'm sure he was pretty surprised when he stepped out of the boat and he could walk on water. And he was probably just as surprised when he started to sink. <laughs> I'm sure he was surprised when he heard that Jesus said, I'm going to die. And Peter says, no. You don't have to die. And then Jesus calls him out and says, get behind me, Satan. I bet Peter was surprised by that. Maybe discouraged. A hardship. When Jesus tells him he's going to deny him three times, and Peter says no. Like, there's a lot of dumb things I've done in my life, but that's not something I'm going to do. I would not deny you. And then after those three times and the rooster crows, I think Peter is surprised at what he's done. It's unexpected. And then when he sees the most innocent person he's ever known crucified on the cross, uh, I'm sure he was surprised. Peter knows surprises and suffering. And his words in chapter 4, verse 12, they're well informed, you know, that he's He's writing to people who have been persecuted and taken from their homes because of the Roman persecution that's taken place. They've been forced to go and move other places. They've arrived at a new place in Asia, and, and as they're getting settled in, there's still persecution happening, and there's still hardship happening, and they're discouraged, and Peter writes to them about the suffering and the persecution that they're facing, and what he tells them in verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal among you. And one of the most common complaints that we hear people make towards Christianity or that people wrestle with as believers is the, the issue of suffering and of hardship, the challenges that the Christian faces in life. 
And Peter, a man who is very accustomed with the challenges that, that come alongside of living in relationship with Jesus Christ, he writes to these other Christians as they're suffering, and he says, don't be surprised. This is normal. And we, we live in a time that, is, that elevates comfort and ease so much that we forget that hardship is normal. We shouldn't be put off by it. But we shouldn't be surprised by it. We expect it. We live in a world where anything that prevents me from fulfilling a perceived need or enjoying a particular comfort is immediately begrudged. An attempt is made to remove it. Whatever could inconvenience me, whatever could prevent me from enjoying a certain measure of comfort, then that is seen as negative, as threatening, as something to be done away with. And the Lord tells us so clearly, one of the things he talks about most in Scripture is suffering. And that the Christian should expect hardship. With our second year students, something that we do is we have these things called outdoor activities. And they always love these. They're lots of fun. Uh, I get to make them go on runs. And we do mountain biking sometimes. Uh, rock climbing, we'll do camping, canoeing, all kinds of fun stuff. It's just lots of fun. Uh, and we always have a camping trip every year. That last two years, I haven't gotten to go on it. But we, we plan it specifically to be after Thanksgiving. So that way it's really cold. No, that's not actually why we do it. But it falls at after Thanksgiving. And, and one of the things with the different outdoor activities, the second years just had their camping trip, and they came back, and I asked them, how was it? And they said, it was cold. So yeah, because it was in the 30s. Um, it was cold. But these different outdoor activities that we have them do, you know, one of the reasons behind them, because I ask, get the question every year, why do we do these? This is not enjoyable. Why do we have to go run? Uh, and, and one of the reasons that I, I always give them is sometimes we just need to be uncomfortable because we approach our Christian life and we think, okay, God, I'm here. Now make me comfortable. You know, those things like joy and peace and love, like all those things, those feelings that we want to have in our hearts. Make me feel all those all the time to a full extent. And then that's, that's my expectation. And God says it's okay to be uncomfortable. That it's going to take place in the life of the Christian. God has promised us a lot of wonderful things, beautiful things about His love, His forgiveness, uh, His compassion towards us, His adopting us as sons and daughters. And one of the other things that Jesus promised us is He said, if they hated me, guess what? They're going to hate you too. That's a promise. That's an expectation. Why would the servant have it any easier than the master? He says, if they treat me this way, this is how they treat you also. And so of the many things he's promised us, he's also promised us that we will suffer. A few years ago, the student came to my office, and this isn't an unusual thing, uh, but he came in and he was complaining about his roommate. Uh, how his roommate was lazy and not a kind person, uh, not, not considerate, 
towards him, didn't seem to really care about being at his hill. Uh, and so he laid his case before me of all the issues that he had with his roommate. And after he made his case, he sat there and he just looked at me, like expecting me to make some statement about, wow, this is really bad. We need to give you a different roommate. Uh, but instead, as he waited for my response, I just looked at him and said, thanks for letting me know. <laughs> and he said, what, 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 can I, what can we do about it? Saying, this is the room you're in. This is the person the Lord's put you with. And it's hard. And, and we come into those, those difficult relationships, and when it gets hard, we think, okay, where's the escape exit? And then we get into marriages, and we think the same thing. There's seasons that are hard. We get into parenting. There's no, there's no exit sign for parenting. Even when it's hard, it says, hardship is to be expected. We get into hardships in our work, and we start to look for other options. We get into financial hardship, and we start to look for a golden ticket. When we find ourselves facing difficulty, we begin looking for some way that we can fix it, that we can deliver ourselves. Because we're so used to getting to pick and choose out of a plethora of options and finding that which suits us the best. We see that the path of glory that Christ placed in front of us is a path that's filled with hardship. You flip over to Luke chapter 2, thinking of Christmas season. And I was reflecting on this some last night. As, <clears throat> as Joseph and Mary are traveling to Bethlehem, uh, we'll read in verse 4, verses 4 through 6. It says, Joseph also went up from Galilee and from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Isn't it intriguing that there was no room for them in the inn? You know, why did they have to go to Bethlehem to begin with? Well, because Caesar Augustus had put out a decree for a census. And so they had to travel back to Bethlehem where Joseph was from so they could register for the census. People do censuses still for tax purposes uh, to know how many people there are and who they should be getting tax money from. And so they go and they, to register for the census, but really that's not the main reason why they're going to Bethlehem. The main reason is in Micah chapter 5, when God promised that from Bethlehem was going to come the Messiah. And so God knows Bethlehem is the place that Jesus needs to be born. And so he uses Caesar Augustus and works in his heart, because they don't even do censuses at a routine schedule in the Roman Empire. It wasn't every year or every other year. You know, Caesar Augustus did three different censuses in his reign, and they were sporadic. They weren't structured. It was when he felt like, okay, we need to do another census. And God inclines his heart to do a census that's going to require Joseph and Mary to be at Bethlehem just at the time when Jesus is going to be born. And of all the times, you know, we tell people today, 
if, if you're close to your due date, you shouldn't get on a plane. <laughs> like, if, if you could have your child any minute, then you should really just stay at home and just be prepared because you don't want to be too far away from a doctor or whatever it might be. You should just be home, just in case. And Joseph and Mary, the time that they're required to go to Bethlehem, that Mary has to travel 90 miles from northern Israel to southern Israel, just happens to be the time when she's nine months pregnant. And she makes this journey. And they'd already gone through so much as being a newly married couple, but she was already pregnant before they got married, and the ridicule that they had to face, and the, the condemnation that they heard from other people, and they say, no, this... This wasn't us, it was God. He did it. You know, yeah, right. It doesn't work that way. And yet that ridicule that they would have faced up to this point because of their obedience to the Lord and their trusting him. And now they get this news, we have to go to Bethlehem for a census when Mary's nine months pregnant. That's really uncomfortable. Hardship. The, the difficulties that the Lord brings into their lives. And God is able to move the heart of the most powerful man in the world, Caesar Augustus, to require the census at this time. I wonder if God would have been able to move in the heart of a, a traveler to maybe not get a room in Bethlehem. So there would be another room for Mary and Joseph. I wonder if God would have been able to incline the heart of the innkeeper to say, I should leave one room open just in case. Yeah, God could have done that. God could have left a room open for the Son of God to be born in. But instead, God wills for Jesus to be born in a stable. And Jesus is born in this dirty stable, not because Mary and Joseph were too slow at traveling, but because that's what the Father willed for them. He wanted the Son of God to be born not in riches, not in mediocrity. He wanted the Son of God to be born in poverty, to be born in destitution, having nothing. And from the beginning of Jesus' life, it's characterized by hardship. Peter says, don't be surprised at the hardship that you're having to endure. This is normal. This is what we signed up for. We may not realize it at the time, but it is. The question is not what God could do, but what he willed to do. You know, it's not a question of, we ask so much, isn't God able to prevent these things? Can't he do it? Isn't he capable? God is capable. But he knows that his people are going to be characterized by suffering. He never encourages us to seek it, to pursue it, to try to make our lives miserable. But he says... Don't be surprised by it. It is going to, to be a part of your life. And <clears throat> Jesus was born into this life of hardship, and he also taught that we should expect it. He demonstrated it. 
that hardship can coexist with abundant life. Hardship and abundant life are not exclusive, but they often go together. And Jesus lives that. He says, I only do that which the Father tells me to. I only speak what the Father gives me to say. And last week when Joe Martin was preaching, he talked about keeping the right perspective. Uh, and how important it is in, in the world we live in and in, in every generation that, that has existed, how important perspective is. And we think about suffering and hardship and the, the day-to-day trials we face and the disappointments when you're driving down the road and your tire goes flat and you think, Lord, why? This is the worst day this could happen. Uh, and, and we face those hardships, and it's not about God, whether or not God could prevent it. It's the fact that this is what he has placed in front of you. And, and it, the perspective that we have is going to be a significant determination of the response that we then have. It begins with our perspective. What do I believe about who God is, who he is, and how he's working in my life. Peter's perspective on this, he said, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised about these things that come. And he goes on to say, they come upon you for your testing. Don't be surprised by them as though some strange thing were happening to you. The normal thing for the Christian, he says, is for there to be some measure of hardship. suffering. And he goes on to talk about persecution specifically. He says in 13, back in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. He says that as you are suffering more hardship, more persecution, more suffering, he says that amplifies your rejoicing rather than diminishes it. To the degree that you suffer, so also rejoice. That the suffering doesn't minimize our worship, it magnifies it. And that is, again, foolishness to the world because they think, you know, how is it that as you suffer, you would continue to worship God? I think of Job's wife and she says, curse God and die. Look at all that you're suffering. But instead, his suffering leads to greater worship. And so the suffering is not the issue. It's not the focus, but rather it's the faith in Christ. The rest, he says, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. As the Christian suffers well, then the result is we get to look back and say, glory be to God for that. Because that was not my doing. And as as we look forward to that day when Christ is revealed in his glory and he will see all of the saints who have walked with him and endured much suffering and it's going to lead to the worship of Jesus, not the worship of the saints. Because the means for enduring the suffering is Christ himself. When And Peter goes on and he talks about how we can suffer for the wrong reasons. 
You know, he says in 15, make sure that you're not suffering as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. And so there's certainly suffering that comes into our lives that's the direct consequences of the, the sinful choices that we've made. And he says, yeah, there's that kind of suffering, but I'm telling you, encouraging you, suffer for the right reasons. Because this is what God has willed for your life, and it leads to the exaltation of Christ. We can suffer for the wrong reasons, because of our own sin. One man enthusiastically tells Jesus that he's ready to follow him, uh, and Jesus' response is one that we wouldn't expect. And he looks at him and he says, well, foxes have holes and birds of the air have their nests. They have homes to sleep in, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And, and his, his point there is, you say you want to follow me and just recognize what the cost is. Have right expectations in this relationship that we're going to have. We don't come to Christ because it's the, the most straight and easiest life that we can live. But rather it's the only path that has true life. And Peter says, Lord, where else am I going to go? When Jesus asked the disciples if they want to leave, because the crowds were walking away from the hard things that he had said. And Peter says, only you have the words of eternal life. And so it's that, that reality of counting the cost, and Jesus speaks to this, and he, he wants his followers to have the right expectations or the right perspective. I was just speaking with somebody yesterday about some of these things and about how much value we place on earthly comforts uh, and <clears throat> both the world places on earthly comforts and, and Christians as well. Uh, and, and he just made the simple statement and he just said, pain is good. Get over it. That, you know, we have that old, old phrase, no pain, no gain. Uh, and again, this is not an encouragement to seek out the pain and the suffering. But the, the reality of life is that pain is good. With our physical bodies, it's when we experience pain that we know something is wrong. And the, the thing that was so dangerous with leprosy is that it would destroy the nerve endings so that you stopped feeling pain. And then they would get a cut. And the smallest cut would lead to an infection. That would lead to bigger problems. That would eventually lead to death because they never realized that there were issues with their physical body because there was no pain. Pain is good. God's designed our bodies to experience physical pain to identify the need that we have. And spiritually, it's the same thing. He says, these sufferings that you face, they're good. They're for your testing. They're for the building up of your faith, for your relationship with Him. And so what is the means by which we endure hardship well? How do we do it? You know, we can... We talk a lot about what God desires for us, but I always find it important that we consider the how. And in Galatians chapter 2, familiar verse here, verse 20, and he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And I think, how is it that when Mary and Joseph show up at the inn after the, the hardships that they'd faced in their first year of marriage, and they hear the news, there's no space here. And if it was, if it was me, in my flesh, I'd look up at the sky and say, God, you have to be kidding me. <laughs> of all that we've had to undergo because you've called us to, to be the parents of the Messiah, and the scorn that we face and the ridicule and now this long journey, and Joseph thinking about his wife, you know, I, would, I would be pretty frustrated. God, you could have saved a room for us. Is that too much to ask? And we don't see any record of that in Joseph. But just thinking that, you know, in, in all of that, how is it that they walk through these things well? I think it says here in Galatians 2.20 that they're living by faith. That they're believing who God is and trusting in what he's called them to. The Christian is to suffer well, and the only way we do that is by dying. We say, Lord, I don't have it in me to walk through this well. But you are. You're living in me. That's enough. Peter says elsewhere that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness in Christ. There's nothing more to be added. And so in this, this suffering that he says, this is normal, don't be surprised by it, expect it. He says, God has given you all you need to endure it. The suffering is not the issue. The suffering is an opportunity to trust Christ. To see and reckon that he is sufficient. There's a quote from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He was writing a letter to his fiancée while Bonhoeffer was in prison during the Nazi regime. He was going to be executed before the war or at the end of the war. Um, but right before Bonhoeffer had gotten arrested, he, he and his girlfriend, they chose to get engaged. Uh, and plenty of reasons at that time to, to be in a relationship and say, you know what, maybe we shouldn't plan on, on marriage because who knows what tomorrow is going to hold. Uh, and in that time, it was, but it was significant. And they, they just felt that, no, we can't just put our lives on hold because of the evil that's in front of us. Life has to go on. And so they choose to get engaged. And shortly after they get engaged is when Bonhoeffer's arrested. And it has to be so discouraging. Lord, we took this step of faith trusting that this is what you would have for us to move forward in this relationship and now we're separated and we have no idea. The likelihood of him being executed is high. God, why would you incline our hearts towards engagement only to have this be the next event that happens? And he writes this to his fiancée while he's in prison. Be brave for my sake, Dearest Maria, even if this letter is your only token of my love this Christmas tide, we shall both experience a few dark hours. Why should we disguise that from each other? We shall ponder the incomprehensibility of our lot 
and be assailed by the question of why over and above the darkness already enshrouding humanity in the midst of all this going on with the war. We should be, why should we be subjected to the bitter anguish of a separation whose purpose we fail to understand? And then, just when everything is bearing down on us to such an extent that we can scarcely withstand it, the Christmas message comes to tell us that our ideas are wrong. And that's what we take, that what we take to be evil and dark is really good and light because it comes from God. Our eyes are at fault. That is all. God is in the manger. Wealth and poverty. Light and darkness. Comfort and abandonment. No evil will befall us. Whatever men may do to us, they cannot but serve the God who has secretly revealed His love and rules the world in our lives. He says our eyes are wrong. They are at fault. That is all. When we despair at the hardship, he says the issue is our perspective. That there's hope. It's not saying that evil is good. Saying that in the midst of the evil and the hardship, there is hope. Because the God that we serve is big enough. That he is sufficient. That Christ sustains his people in the midst of their discouragement and their suffering. And so, just a a few thoughts here. I'm going to also read here in verse 19. He says, therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. He says, even as, especially as Christians suffer hardship, Christians do what is right. We don't suffer the hardship and say, what's the point? But all the more, he says, we entrust our souls to Christ and we keep doing what is right. And so, Peter encourages us, the Lord encourages us, don't be surprised by hardship, but expect it. It's normal. Don't despise it. Don't do all that is in our power to try to avoid it and protect ourselves from it, but recognize this is the reality of life on earth. And this is the reality of life as a follower of Christ. Hardship. Recognize that it's good. He uses it for our good. He uses it to test us, to bring us to our knees in reliance on Him, to show and demonstrate His own power in our weakness, that when we are weak, He is strong. And it is by His grace and His life in us that we are able to endure hardship well. Not just getting through it, but being able to rejoice in the midst of it. Not that the hardship itself is something that we're happy about, but that our God is sovereign and he's using that in our lives to grow us in our relationship with him. All right, let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for these these truths that you have just written so so clearly uh, and simply. Lord, just that we should not be surprised uh, by by the day-to-day challenges that come up in our lives, or the things that we just perceive as inconveniences, um, and, and we want to 
be rid of. Lord, but that we just receive those things in faith, uh, trusting you. When we show up and there's no more room at the end, Lord, that we trust you. And, and we're not frustrated uh, with what you brought us to. Because it's to lead to our rejoicing, to your exaltation, to the worship of your great name. And we see the, the world around us, and, and again, it's just, there's, there's lots of concerns, uh, but I pray that those concerns are undergirded with strong hope. Or that we're never despairing, uh, but we have every reason to rejoice. So I just pray that we would be a people who endures hardship well, or that by your word, working in our hearts, that our minds would be renewed and that we would see rightly. And we would again just maintain that true perspective of who you are and who we are. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.